1: This is the Runners
2: World podcast. Welcome to the Runners World podcast with me, Rick Pearson, and me, Ben Hobson. Today we're talking about the fascia with Shane Benzi, a dedicated follower of fascia. <laughs> oh, very good, a fascia guru, if you will. Oh. It's, it's actually a chat like that, Ben, that makes me realise. Well, while be, we've been while we nominated for a podcast award, I think it's that kind of it's that kind of razor sharp wit, isn't it?
3: A <laughs> <laughs> nice segue, yes. Guess what? We've been nominated for an award. How, that's that's funny, isn't it? Yes, yeah, the Campaign Publishing Awards. We're up for um, Podcast of the Year from Consumer Media, which is mega. Um, it's, it's great to be shortlisted. Um, we are shortlisted up um, amongst some big names too, mate. The Economist, yeah. The Guardian, and Penguin Books. So, Ooh, okay. I'm
2: not sure. I, not sure I
3: fancy our chances, to be honest. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we're sort, yeah, we're we're we're, in, we're out in lane eight, aren't we? Out in lane eight, hoping for a. A fast maybe. start and see if we can hang on. Yeah.
3: But, you know, the, the the resurgence of running in these current times, maybe, you know, maybe it's a good thing.
2: I hope so. I hope so. Well, isn't it, like I say, very nice to be, um, very nice to be, to have made the, the shortlist. Um, other than sort of luxuriating in that, Ben, what, what have you been up to over the weekend?
3: Um, well, you know, I think I probably did what everyone else did. Actually, not what everyone else did because I've been watching the news and people have been going mental. But um, we, we just stayed at home and had a barbecue and we did go to the park but we didn't meet up with anyone. Um, but I, I went running again. It's, becoming a, hab- it's becoming a habit. <laughs> um, it's really weird, Rick. I, I, um, so I went into some intervals because I, I, I don't really want to spend a lot of time on my feet at the moment doing the running because it yeah. kind of feels like long and slow is not going to help with any of my I- issues. So I thought... Short and sharp. Mm. So there's a sort of patch of... And I also applied the elite logic of do all you running on, on softer ground. Nice. Um Though, to be honest, like, the ground is so hard at the moment because it's so dry that I'm not really sure that it's going to be that much different. But so there's a sort of 200-meter stretch of park, um, and I went and did some interval efforts just up there. And um it was only after about eight of them that I realized that I, I've just forgotten how to run properly or run quickly so um i sort of realized that i was i wasn't really using my my leg the range of my leg movements properly or like certainly like driving through driving through your stride was not happening so i sort of realized that you know i was getting sort of i was i was uh, there was a good um like minute per mile increase that could have been like on pace wise so i was sort of like doing sort of i don't know It's only 200 metres, so it's not, you know, you can pretty much just do sprints, right? So I realised I just wasn't sprinting, and so I just suddenly did two more at the end, which were like 4.20 pace rather than 5.20 pace, and I was just like, oh! And it was literally because I wasn't driving with my legs properly, and I was just like, wow, here we go. A nice friendly reminder that you just have to, you know, that it's not just one foot in front of the other sometimes, there's some real sort of, um, I was using, I I was... uh, verbalizing, I was actually telling myself to drive with my legs, and that's what made me physically move my body better.
2: Well, mate, this is interesting. This is interesting because what what Shane talks about partly his fascia stuff is that he thinks that one thing that unites and East African runners they have this wonderfully dynamic running style, and and they they're not afraid to get lots of um, air, you know, from the, from the ground. I guess vertical oscillation, if you want to be technical, and he thinks that a lot of Western runners actually. We've kind of shortened our stride and and we are kind of bringing walking movements to to the running motion and actually what we should try and do is, is kind of bring a bit more of the dyna- dynamism of quick running to to our kind of endurance running form so I'm um, uh, a lot of what you're saying I, I'm pretty sure he would he will echo later on
3: well that's good that's good to know yeah I think that like tracking metrics has kind of ruined a bit of that you know when you're trying to when you're trying to shrink numbers from on a screen down to their lowest, their lowest form so if you've got a fancy heart rate monitor that tells you your vertical height oscillation and your yeah. whatever and you kind of go well, i want that to be as small as possible it's not necessarily perhaps the thing that should be that should be happening
2: talking about um short strides and undynamic movement i was on the run again this <laughs> weekend
3: <laughs> yeah tell me about it what did you get up
2: to so i'm getting quite into this run from mine to, to greenwich and back so it's about it's about 15 miles and and it takes in quite a lot of nice parks basically and then um you get a great view out when you get to the top of Greenwich, and then and then you're up on Blackheath basically, which obviously is where the London Marathon uh, starts. It's quite it's quite it's quite strange to go there f- for me because I don't go to Blackheath very often unless it's unless it's a London Marathon basically, and it's you kind of think oh yeah, you're kind of hoping that w- when that will be kind of back in in full swing, which I know is, is very much up in the air, but yeah, uh, always quite like going back to Blackheath because it, it has some of that. That excitement yeah. for me of the of the race, yeah,
3: Tra- transports you immediately to
2: that. Uh, yeah, I think so,
3: mate. Yeah, to that time.
2: Um, oh, I've got some pseudo science, ben, ben, for you. Good. It's about coffee. So I know that coffee's Lo- oh, been a sort of constant companion, isn't it? Of love, of a lots of people during lockdown uh, mm. certainly has that in the Pearson household. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, Ben, a new study suggests that too many cups of Joe could be a culprit for poor health.
3: Right. Okay. Research
2: from the University of South Australia's Australian Centre for Precision and Health. A lot of Australian uh, things there, but <laughs> that, is, that is tough. <laughs> Suggests that it all comes down to genetics. So basically anyone with a family history of osteoarthritis, arthropathy, which is joint disease or obesity, okay. may be better to sit out a few of the coffee rounds. Um, it looked at 300,000 participants and it made a connection between habitual coffee consumption and uh, and the aforementioned um, conditions. Uh Luckily for us, because we all know that runners like coffee, and it's and it's, and it's shown to have kind of performance-enhancing qualities as well. It's we're talking moderate coffee use is all right, so moderate coffee use is fine. So that's fine. But What's it that also like shows one
3: or, one or two cups a day.
2: One or two, I think even probably two or three is fine. But if you're absolutely chugging it back and you like perhaps, six, have, yeah, and I remember you know, maybe, six
3: in, I remember a study that was about if you have more than six coffees a day, you yeah. need to calm down.
2: Which I think it shouldn't need to be said that, should it? And it's the same with like this kind of performance enhancing stuff. They were like, look, like when, when caffeine was like an illegal, which often gets trotted out as if like if you're having a cup of coffee, then you're like breaking the rules. The amount of caffeine was insane, mate. It was like if you had more than eight espressos, it's like if you had more than eight espressos, you were in trouble for lots of reasons. Like no of, yeah. one should be having that.
3: I wouldn't be worried about anything else apart from my stomach if I had eight coffees. Exactly, and so I think
2: that, I think this is similar. So, but if you are go, if you are going really really nuts on the caffeine, it may be worth having a think about. And I think that there's possibly some good message in there because coffee's got a lot of good press recently, hasn't it? Well, yeah, and I guess
3: yeah. it all it sort of depends on your your genetics too, right? That's the kind of like takeaway is that if you've got certain uh genetic dispositions then caffeine might not be the best thing for you so it's good to know because you know you know those are sort of well certainly obesity which is a a very sort of common uh uh, public health issue right now so you know it's um it's not just is it coffee itself or is it caffeine
2: this was looking at this was looking at coffee um, but I'm just but, uh, intrigued yeah.
3: now um, yeah, yeah you know because you know energy drinks and all that sort of stuff as well
2: oh yeah for sure yeah which you kind of yeah obviously come with a lot of caveats um, yeah exactly. like sugar and stuff all oh, right I think it's time we got our guest of the week on guest of the week
3: here in the studio guest of the week sometimes on the
2: Our guest this week has been described as the Indiana Jones of running, but instead of hunting ancient artifacts, Shane Benzley has been helping people rediscover the lost art of running. He's a world expert in something called fascia, the elastic webbing that encases our muscles. Shane has been working with a host of world-class athletes to help tap into this incredible energy source, and he's here on the RW podcast to tell us more. So Shane, welcome to the Runners World well podcast.
4: Well, wow, thank you very much for having me.
2: No, it's great to, great to have you on the show. Um, let's start... With a quick overview. In its simplest terms, what is fascia?
4: What is fascia? Well, I think I would probably describe it as a, a kind of a connective tissue um, uh, that has elastic qualities. And this, this connective tissue runs throughout our body. It kind of surrounds our organs. It surrounds our muscles. It runs through our muscles. It basically kind of connects everything together in our bodies. And it actually creates a sea of tension that our uh, skeleton sits in as well. So, um, yeah, I get very, very excited about it.
3: Because I think this is when people talk about what well, we certainly talk about running and you talk about power, especially and things like that. We're always talking about muscle sort of strength and, and, and those sorts of things. And we talk about um, stabilizing muscles and all those sorts of stuff. But fascia plays a key role in all of those sorts of
4: processes, right? Yeah, it does. And so, I mean, if we go back sort of a, a few million years ago, so as we were kind of evolving, Uh, you know, as as a human species, we kind of gave away muscle power, we kind of said no to that. So, you know, look at a chimpanzee, that's a very strong, muscular animal, um, but not necessarily that efficient. So we kind of said no to muscle. um, And we took a a different approach. And we developed a very, very clever foot. um, And we had the ability to stand up tall. And become elastic and extremely efficient, which meant we could cover much longer distances um, and catch more food and uh, just, you know, get bigger brains. And uh, we ended up kind of, you know, literally populating the world. So it's fascinating that we gave muscles away a long time ago for elasticity and yet now when we try and do something dynamic it's muscle we kind of um think about and yet we gave it away a long time ago we really are quite weak as a species but we're incredibly elastic
2: yeah that is interesting isn't it yeah i guess compared to chimp yeah compared to a chimp we're about what a tenth of the strength of a chimpanzee but over in a marathon yeah. You've got a back home, back home a sapien, wouldn't you? You'd back home a sapien.
4: Yeah, you wouldn't want to arm wrestle a gym, but you'd probably take him to the cleaners in a park run. So, <laughs> so I think we're not really playing to our strengths.
2: Yeah. Well, how did you personally, though, Shane, become interested in fashion? Because I think for a lot of listeners, it won't be a term that they're sort of overly familiar with.
4: No, no. Well, so when I, when I became a running coach, I actually went out to America um, to to qualify as a running coach, um, and um, and I kind of studied then, sort of looking at biomechanics. Biomechanics is the way we generally kind of learn about our movement in the Western world, um, and I think it potentially it can throw us a little bit of a curveball um, because you know biomechanics you know, often it's it's a way of engineers describing movement, and I think it makes us, and maybe the clue is even in the word, makes us feel slightly mechanical, and yet. As, as an animal, we have the ability to be incredibly synergistic, fluid, connected and elastic. But our movement is kind of described to us as a mechanical thing. Um, and so I came back from America and, and, and started coaching. Absolutely loved it. But I, it, there were lots of gaps in what I was doing and, and, and in my understanding. And I think the first time a really good runner came to me and said, you know, I want to run faster. How do I do that? I kind of thought, well, I'm, I'm slightly curious about that myself. I, don't know. I was very good at getting people to run in a, a, a mechanically efficient way, if you like. But when a beautiful runner came and said, I want to run faster, what do I do? I thought, do you know what? I don't really know. Um, and so I kind of down tools and thought, right, you know, I need to know. I need to find out what you know how, how do we move better and so um i'd heard about this amazing coach in ethiopia because i thought well the best the best runners tend to you know as far as i could see were in kind of ethiopia and kenya east africa doing amazing things and i'd and i'd heard of this amazing coach in ethiopia who lived in a very small town um working with a lot of young athletes and brought people through uh, like tiranesh debaba and bekele um, they would had loads of world records and Olympic records and um, world championship records from this tiny little town. So I thought, I'm going. So I kind of did. I, I went off to Ethiopia and and, uh, and tracked this coach down um, and spent some time with him. It wasn't organized. I just kind of went out there. Um, and I remember getting there on the. I got there late at night because it's right out in the countryside and got up early in the morning and went down to the track. Um, which is a kind of like a dirt track Um, and I was down there about five in the morning and uh, there was just one lady running around this track on her own and I just thought wow what is that it was like nothing I'd ever seen before Um, it was very it looked elastic to me but I couldn't didn't really know what it was Um, and it was beautiful absolutely amazing and I ended up spending about a month there um, with with the coach um, and kind of, you know, sort of tailing him and just watching the runners and really didn't know what I was seeing, but then kind of came back from there and decided then I would try and be a researcher as much as a coach and would try and identify what it was that I was seeing. And that's when I started to find fascia and the elastic qualities of our body.
3: Most runners will probably have come across the term or certainly... Uh, be aware of fascia in, in an injury related sense as in they might know about plantar fasciitis or maybe something in ITB band syndromey kind of relative things but um, as you say it's so it's, it kind of has a sort of maybe possible negative connotations because it's sort of seen as this sort of inhibitor but you know it's actually incredibly important
4: Oh, with absolutely, without a doubt, it really is. And there's a, there's a the, the the fascial system in the body. And I think what what what's most exciting for runners, or what what I get really excited about, is this concept uh, called tensegrity. I don't know if you've ever heard of the word tensegrity before. Um, it basically, it relates, it it describes the relationship between our skeleton and our elastic system, okay? So, if you imagine imagine your skeleton, just close your eyes and just imagine your skeleton floating in the air, okay? Now, if you move closer and look at that skeleton, actually no bone touches another bone in your skeleton, okay? It's kind of, uh, we almost imagine it as one structure, but actually, there are about 206 bones. And if you looked very closely at your skeleton floating in the air, you'd be able to see that no bone is touching another bone. Now, if you brought that skeleton down to earth, where it would have to bear its own weight, the elastic system would make, would cover those small gaps between all of the bones. Okay, So every single bone in your body actually sits in its own little elastic trampoline. So when you're moving, your skeleton is actually free-flowing in its own elastic sea of tension, um, which is really, really exciting because I think what I've learned from working with, with athletes is that so much of our movement is based on our perception of our movement. So what, we're assuming is, what we assume is happening as we're running has a big emphasis on it. So if we have this biomechanical view of ourselves that we're a series of levers powered by muscles, we will move in that way. But if we start to understand that actually our skeleton is actually free flowing in a sea of elasticity that makes us very connected, elastic and fluid, really, there is no upper or lower body. Everything is connected to everything. If we know that, that immediately starts to change our posture, because we'd want to move in with a beautiful posture that would accentuate those lines of elasticity.
2: I think it's very inspiring to talk to talk in, in that language. I think about. I think you can. I feel more elastic already. <laughs>
4: <laughs> on, on what's incredibly important, and I think is it, it really exciting as well, is that when so running is largely about posture. You know, if we if we want to tap into this amazing elastic system and create this beautiful sea of tension in our body, but the really big thing to know is this. This sea of tension, this dynamic movement that we that we make, that will only ever be an extension of your everyday movement. So so with your listeners listening now, if you know, whatever position their body is in, that is uh, determining the sea of tension that you will take into your dynamic movement so and many of us sit all day you know that's the the way of life although that may change for for some people um so we we are compromising potentially our sea of tension in our body if we're not spending our day well and we've then got to take it into dynamic movement but i don't think we should see that as a negative if we get excited about our dynamic movement we should get excited then about our everyday movement because that's really where our dynamic movement is fueled from and i think that's really exciting
2: yeah that is. I wondered if you could um so along with possibly moving more or thinking about our everyday posture w- what are some of the the practical things that that anyone listening to this could do to kind of tap into this this fascia system.
4: So so when you are when you're actually running Um, what we really want is height in the body you know we have we have uh, lines of elasticity in our body 12 major lines of fascia passing through our body Um, two of them the superficial front line and the superficial back line literally run from your toes all the way up your body into your skull up the front of the body and the back of the body so you imagine if you get tall and think elegant with your head up eye line on the horizon, you're actually then creating tension in those lines of elasticity. okay? And you're actually creating a sea of tension with your body where your skeleton will start to support itself. Um, because what we don't want is the muscles acting as kind of scaffolding to support this body that isn't supporting itself. So, so for runners, thinking about getting height in the body um, is, a, is a great way of actually starting to tap into that system. And as, and as I just said, think about their everyday positions as well. So for anybody who does have to sit at a desk, um, you imagine if, 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 you, if, you, if you went into work, if you went into the office, if you stood at your desk on tripod feet, a lengthened spine, a neutral pelvis, eye line on the computer, breathing into the bottom third of your lungs, that's a nine hour training day. You are, you are, you know, because that's where your dynamic movement is going to come from. So that's the most important training session of the week. If you go into the office and we kind of slump over our desk and our head is down and, you know, we have this really um, compromising uh, posture. That's that's training for our running. But it's very negative. Very negative. Um, so, you know, uh, you in both our everyday lives and in our dynamic movement, if we can get some nice height into our body and actually get um, our body take supporting its own weight throughout the day, that's a huge investment into our dynamic movement.
0: This is the Runner's World Podcast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
2: You mentioned there, Shane, about tripod feet, which I think some people might think that you're actually standing on a tripod. You don't mean that, do you?
4: I don't know. I don't mean that. No. So, so if the the foot, um, so a, a lot of the work I do. Um, as a researcher, I'm looking at runners obviously all day long. I mean, I literally work on six continents um, coaching and researching, um, and a lot of the research I do is on indigenous people and tribes. So I go off to the jungle or the, the Himalayas or the Arctic or the Amazon or the desert and study athletes in these environments because uh, it's interesting to see how they adapt back into these environments. But also, studying indigenous people and I, I look a lot at the foot. So, your runners uh, should really be thinking about. Think about your foot as the interface between you and the ground, okay? And when you're running, your foot has five really big tasks to sort out for you. If the foot lands well, it creates stability. It dissipates the impact that's coming back at you from the ground. It allows the foot to propriocept. There are a quarter of a million nerve endings on the bottom of your foot. Those nerve endings will give you loads of really exciting information about your environment. It also creates a lot of elasticity through the plantar fascia, which we mentioned earlier. And where the foot is in relation to the ground will determine how much you decelerate as you hit the ground. So a tripod landing creates this, maximizes this. And that's basically, if you think about a tripod on the bottom of your foot, there's a point on your heel, a point on the ball of your foot, and then a point just under the, the little toe, if you like. And that creates a tripod effect. Very important when we're running. But also very important when we're stood, because if we stand on that tripod, then we get good stability. Very often we stand leaning back slightly on our heels, which means we're effectively trying to balance our body on one point of a tripod. That obviously doesn't work. So then we lock into kind of curious positions to try and create stability, which means all our weight goes onto one hip um, and then we're compromising our sea of tension. If we if we can stand more, and certainly the desk is one of those places where we don't. If we could stand more in our lives and be weight bearing, um, that has a huge, huge effect. And you know, not and even if you're not a runner, you'd want to be loading your body better uh, because sitting, we're essentially almost decaying because most of our the re- rejuvenation of our body is based on weight bearing.
3: As runners, we uh, absolutely adore a time scale. <laughs> <laughs> um, be it, you know if you, if you if you can give us a, a set dedicated twelve week result period. But how long does it how long does it take to realistically train your fascia to behave in this way?
4: When we change our movement, actually, we're not teaching the body, the physical body we're not really teaching it new tricks. So if we go out and, and, and have some coaching or we listen to a podcast or we read a magazine, um, or you know, we think about changing our movement, when we start running around and, and, and moving in a different way, we're not teaching our physical body really new tricks. There's, you know, there's not really any such thing as muscle memory. Our, me- our muscles don't even really remember what they did this morning. What we're actually coaching, what we're training, is our software, our brain. Yeah. So by moving in a different way and doing that repeatedly, we start to rewrite the software, which then tells the kind of physical body, the hardware, if you like, what to do. Okay, so that's a really important thing, because I think it's it's very, very difficult to change your gait, you know, and, you know, maybe you've tried it yourselves and maybe you've spoken to people that do try it. And I think it's often the challenge is made harder because we go out. Trying to do drills and things that we assume is teaching our body a new trick where actually what we should be doing is trying to rewrite our software okay so that's a really important thing for people to remember when they're when they're changing their movement but to an- to answer your question if by by changing your movement your body will adapt to that so i it's what I like to think of as Darwinian fitness rather than cardiovascular fitness, fitness to perform the task. So if you went out tomorrow and ran in a different way, you'd be loading your body differently and moving differently. Your bone remodeling, your muscle re-architecting, your fashion rejuvenation, all of those will immediately start to rebuild themselves to help you do that task better tomorrow. So even tonight, if you move differently tonight, even to, to today, should I say, tonight while you're asleep, your body is correcting it the way it's formed to allow these new tasks. So, you know, if you break muscle fibres, the muscles will, will, will rebuild that, allowing you to do the task that broke them better. Fascia is the same, bone remodeling is the same. So it actually starts to happen straight away. So that's that's exciting. But what I have found working with experts on fascia um, in, over my research is that actually the whole fascial system in the body is actually never more than seven months old. So, it's amazing, isn't it? Ah, so you're, you're,
2: never, you're never you're about half a year away from a, yeah. a new fascial system if you wanted to. Yeah,
4: absolutely. I and mean, when I first when I first kind of identified fascia was what was showing me that that that, that beautiful athlete in in, in uh, Ethiopia running, and then I kind of came back to kind of find out what it was. It was then believed it was two and a half years. Which was exciting in itself, uh, but actually as, as technology's got better and better and better and better, it's now understood that actually it's seven months. The Achilles tendon takes a bit longer, but other than that, it's seven months. So yeah, for, for, for people who, who, are, who are listening to this now, by the time Christmas comes, they will have a completely new system that holds them upright, that their bones floating, that covers their muscles, that binds them together. Now, if you uh, don't change your movement patterns and don't change your habits, you'll have a brand new system, but it will do exactly the same thing. But if you start to change your movement patterns and start to be more dynamic or move in a different way, you'll have a new system. So the way I always like to think about it is, if, it, you, know, if, you, if you met someone in the streets and the fascia was outside of their body and you didn't see them for seven months, but they changed the way they move, You'd probably walk past them. You wouldn't even recognise them because they would have changed completely.
2: So, no, it's, very, it's very exciting, that, isn't it? I think that's very exciting. It
4: is. It is. It is. It's, it's, it's so, so exciting. And, and, you know, it happens forever. You know, it's not a young, it's not a facial rejuvenation isn't a young person thing. It, there's no doubt as we get older, our ability to rejuvenate uh, fascially slows down. That, that, that is true. But it happens forever and i think sometimes we think we're kind of trying to teach an old dog new tricks or we're flogging the death out of an old system trying to rejuvenate it it, that's really not the case really not the case and i think that's incredibly exciting for for for, for all runners
2: i've heard you say before that you think that western society we have a we have a sort of troubled relationship with the ground and we maybe even have a kind of fear of the ground in a way that East African runners who perhaps grew up more in a kind of shoeless society don't have that.
4: What,
2: what, what? You is that is that what you mean by it? And what are the knock-on effects when it comes to sort of running style?
4: Yeah. So, so I think um, we have in the Western world, I guess, a slightly adversarial relationship with the ground. We we blame the ground for all of our problems because we 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 relate the ground to impact, and we blame impact on. our injuries, uh, and so we almost try and run over the ground and avoid it, um, which is very unless you can learn to go, That's very difficult to do, um, but yeah, we don't we don't we don't celebrate our relationship with the ground. Whereas certainly in East Africa, and actually anywhere where where people grow up in bare feet. They have absolutely no fear of the ground whatsoever because they're, you know, they're in bare feet and they're hitting it from from as long as they can remember. As soon as we can kind of toddle across the kitchen floor, our our feet are kind of squeezed into shoes um, to keep us away from that dirty ground. You know, so we just kind of grow up with the wrong relationship with the ground. So when you're running, when your foot hits the ground you obviously have him impact come back at you. So Newton's third law, any action is met by an equal and an opposite. So when you hit the ground, you've actually got as a runner, as a human and as a runner, about two and a half times your body weight coming back at you, okay? Which sounds kind of scary in a way because if you, let's say you ran a marathon with an average stride length, you might do something like 35,000 strides in a marathon. So throughout the marathon, you've got 35,000 times, two and a half times your body weight coming back at you. Now, for anyone who's injured, that would be they'll be putting their hands over their ears, and that'll be scaring them to death. No impact, never injured a runner ever. It's mismanagement of impact that injures us. Impact turns into elastic energy and throws you forward. So our connection with the ground is an is in a really really exciting way to propel us forward. It's 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 one of our big ways of moving forward. And ironically, because we're scared of impact, it tends to make us move in a way where we don't dissipate it well. so we try and suck ourselves down to the ground, I think in many cases because we don't want to create negative bounce and we don't want to create impact, and that almost always means we don't have the correct correct relationship with the ground and ironically mismanage that impact and it come back it comes back to hurt us so um we yeah i I think we need to work on that as runners and i think also we don't use the ground to push ourselves off either you know we tend to almost want to get that foot off that ground because it's the it's the nasty ground so we try and land on it very lightly and then we try and pull our foot off of it very quickly what we should be doing is hitting it beautifully with confidence if we hit it with that tripod foot because remember the tripod foot one of the big five things that interface gives us is the dissipation of impact. So if we land beautifully on our tripod foot, we dissipate that impact before it gets to the first major joint, and then we can actually use the ground to then push ourselves off. So we've used the the ground twice, once to create a load of elastic energy, and then another time as a lever to then push ourselves into the air, because air for a runner is a beautiful thing. I think oh, we are a whole generation of runners, maybe two generations of runners that are running around thinking we need to suck ourselves down to the ground. And that's just not true. It really is.
2: Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think if you look at, you know, the paragons of, of good distance running, as we, which are often from East Africa, they, they all have that great dynamism and that great kind of airtime that, um, that amateur runners in the West don't have. And I think you're right. I think some of that is coming from how they're thinking about their own their own body, or just subconsciously, what they, their kind of relationship with with the ground could be like.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you know, we're now because of technology, we're able to wear kind of devices now that will tell us our vertical oscillation, and, and we're you know we're we're able to start to have a look at these running dynamics. Um, and I think probably the average runner is running around with maybe a seven and a half centimeter vertical oscillation um and a lot of the africans that i kind of research and work with and coach you know they're up to 15 centimeters huge oscillation but that oscillation the air that they're getting their stride providing the trajectory of that oscillation is going forward it actually gives them a huge stride length and actually because they get so much beautiful air it allows them to get their legs circling underneath them and allowing them to have that beautiful tripod landing if we suck ourselves down to the ground, we're giving ourselves nowhere for the legs to cycle underneath us. So it's going to land on a heel on a straight leg in front of us, and then it dissipates that impact badly. And that's when it does hurt us and doesn't turn into elastic energy.
2: For, for, for more on this subject, Shane, because I feel like you know, I know that you know loads about this. Obviously, it's what you do, but, and we can't cover it all in, in, in half an hour on the podcast. But if people wanted to find out more about your work, where could, where could they go?
4: Um, well, uh, so I have a, I have a, uh, a website. Um, so there's some information on there. Um, I've got a, I've got a book, actually got a book coming out in August, um, called the lost art of running. Um, so that really documents the journey, um and kind of talks more about you know fascia and elasticity and there's also lots of how to's in there so what i've just been discussing there there's illustrations and there's how to's on how to kind of create the stride and foot landing and posture and arm swing and all that kind of stuff um so yeah that that's a really good way but or if anybody's got any questions specifically they can email me or you know ask any questions there isn't much out there on this kind of stuff
2: yeah and your website is running reborn isn't it
4: yeah that's it running reborn absolutely yeah
2: Shane thanks very very much for, for your time It was, it's really great to, to chat to you about fascia again and uh, I know it's something we're going to cover in Runners World magazine uh, later in the year as well um, but yeah really inspiring stuff I think and, not, and like you say not, not something that's discussed by by too many people's so hopefully food for thought for people who are listening
4: yes that's it yeah if we, can, if we can get them thinking about it and then they can go off and do their research and, and yeah go out there and try it
2: this is the Runners World podcast So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. A big thanks to our guest, Shane Benzie, and to you, of course, for listening. The Runners World podcast is available on Acast, iTunes, and all of your favourite
3: podcast apps. Just search Runners World UK. Thanks very much for listening, and we will see you again next week.
1: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.